0: The cryptocurrency tumbled sharply in Asia, wiping out a fourth of its market value in a 24-hour span. Uh, 12.5 is pretty much the price people are looking at this morning. It's down 17 percent. But for the week, you're looking at 30 percent drawdown. As, as our friend Josh Brown uh, joked this morning, this is where value investors step That's in. That's right. Well, <laughs> although it doesn't even get you back to Thanksgiving. Right, so it was about eight thousand is when it really started to lift off in late November, early December, and so it, you sort of have so many people who got in on this ramp higher uh, as it went vertical, and a tremendous amount of the activity happened there. So basically, you have a lot of people trapped up there. That's why those parabolic moves tend to unwind pretty fast because you have that kind of the green investors in there, and uh, and maybe they don't have the, the fortitude. So um, you know, and that's also, by the way, I think why it's always been crazy. To be talking about the market cap of bitcoin because it was just this weird snapshot based on the last person to trade a fraction of a bitcoin it wasn't about capitalizing anything Uh, harvey pitt former chairman of the sec uh, along with charlie munger has some comments on bitcoin as well which we'll get to later but this is what pitt said about bitcoin on fast money last night The problem we're seeing here is that people are investing in things that they don't understand. And they also
1: are making investment judgments not based on the merits of what's being offered, but rather because everyone else is investing in it and the price seems to be going up. Welcome to Noted Podcast 0.6.0. We're joined today with John
2: Newberry. John, how are you? I'm good, thanks Pierre. Can we can we just skip to 1.6? I feel like we deserve a full release for, <laughs> for this one.
1: I think that we'll have a major version number change when either we change like the the format of the podcast, maybe if we have like a debate episode or or we get a real podcast studio going where we fly in the guests and we have like a major upgrade in the audio quality. Um, until then, I feel like we're kind of in the alpha stage.
2: Okay, that's, that's fair.
1: Um, and I'm joined here with my co-host, Michael Goldstein. Howdy. Also known as Bitstein. Good to have you, Michael. Thank you. John was recently on Marty Bent's podcast. So If you have not listened to that episode, please stop listening to this episode and go to Tales from the Crypt, number five, A Conversation with John Newberry. I'll put a link in the show notes, but we're going to try to not cover what was covered in Marty's excellent episode because you should go listen to that one. Marty did a great job. Fantastic podcast.
2: Yeah, it's a great podcast. It's a lot of fun. And I have to say the drinks... Uh, That podcast are a lot better than the drinks here,
1: yeah. That's a fair criticism of this podcast. it's a bring your own coffee here at Noted. Yeah. Uh, So recently, uh, John, you posed an interesting hypothetical, which I really hadn't even crossed my mind, but in hindsight, it's kind of an obvious question to ask. Is that, you know, we're, we're, we're hearing from some corners, and this is probably a an oversimplification and inaccurate, but that Lightning and level two scaling solutions are going to be a silver bullet. And it means that we'll never have to increase the block size limit again, or you know, not for a very long time. The, the question though is that what if layer two is too successful and that we don't get enough transactions on layer one and thus as the block reward subsidy evaporates over time due to the havings, we run the risk of having insufficient hash rate to properly secure the most recent transactions on the Bitcoin blockchain.
2: Yeah, um, I think it's an interesting hypothetical. I I don't think it's probably going to happen. I think more likely is as lightning adoption picks up or other second layer application adoption picks up, that makes the, the blockchain a lot more useful for a lot more use cases. So the, the use that we get out of the block, blockchain becomes more efficient. And then we enter perhaps a phase of what's called the Jevons effect or Jevons paradox, where as the usage of a good becomes more efficient, we actually see more demand for it. So we might see fees go up because so many people are using Lightning that they, they're pegging in and out of these channels. But even though the fees are going up, the, use, the usage, the utility that they're getting out of that limited usage of the block space Um, is such that it's better value for them. So that's, I mean, we we could go in that direction, that's a possibility, or we could go in the direction that you've kind of hinted at there, where maybe everyone starts using Lightning and there's really no reason to use the base layer, um, use the blockchain at all. Everyone has their funds forever committed to these payment channels and they use that layer for transacting and we see a dwindling of usage on, on the blockchain. And that would be problematic because at that point, um, the subsidy has gone down, there are a few transactions, and there's little competition for block space, so fees are low, and in that case, the the security that we get from mining goes down because the revenue that miners get goes down. So those, I mean, it's all hypothetical. This is all um, technology that's in very early stages, um, but it's definitely interesting to think about what the long-term impacts of these things will be.
1: Yeah, and when you say the security would go down, uh, I think that it would it would help for our audience to understand that what the implication of that is. And in, in my mind, you know, if we have a UTXO set that basically isn't getting modified anymore, right? Because let's just go the full reduction ad absurdum that there's no transactions happening on chain. It means that the most recent transactions would easily be rewritable by miners, right? Coming in and modifying the most recent transactions and essentially causing a a reorg. Is, is that an accurate understanding of what the security risk is there if there's not enough hash rate?
2: Potentially, yeah. Um, and again, this is all very hypothetical because we don't know what what this looks like. You can kind of do thought experiments about these scenarios, but... Really, we we have no idea. All of Bitcoin is an experiment, and and Lightning is an experiment on an experiment, and we're doing thought experiments on top of that. Um, But imagine, well, let's go back to basics. At the moment, we have a blockchain, and we have miners, and those miners receive revenue from two sources. One source is block subsidy, which is inflation. In some ways, it's a, a wealth tax on all of the Bitcoin that everyone holds. Your share of the pie is slowly being eaten away by these new Bitcoin that are being mined. And there's another stream of revenue, which is transaction fees. And transaction fees are a a fee on economic activity. People who transact on Bitcoin get usefulness out of the Bitcoin network, and appropriately they have to pay a fee. And holders also get utility out of the Bitcoin network, and perhaps you can argue appropriately they're paying their fee in, in the form of inflation. Now, if you If you look into the future, that that inflation goes down to zero or asymptotically as we approach 2140. And it's expected that the transaction fees go up to compensate the miners so that they continue having revenue. Um, The question I would pose is, is that appropriate? Is is it appropriate that holders in the future don't pay anything for the security that they receive, for the financial sovereignty and security of their own funds? I I think in, in Bitcoin, we'd never want to change that. People got into Bitcoin and became interested. Um, well, a lot of people got interested because of the monetary policy, and it would be inappropriate to change that um, from under them. But you, you can ask these hypothetical, quest- hypothetical questions. Is, is that an appropriate partitioning of who pays for the security of the network?
1: Yeah. And so the, the reason I'm n- not particularly worried about this hypothetical currently is that with my understanding of lightning which is very high level there are going to be quite a few opening and closing of channels and it, you know when i think about the economy like it's very money flows very indirectly and so i think that we'll inevitably have imbalances in channels and that they'll need to settle on chain on top of the fact that there's just going to continue to be A tremendous amount of demand for on-train transactions when we look at how much quote-unquote difficulty businesses are having adopting Segwit. You know, legacy systems take a very, very long time to upgrade. And it's funny because we we used to criticize the banking system for still using COBOL mainframes and whatnot. But we'll have the same sort of issue in Bitcoin, where we'll have production systems that rely on Bitcoin, certain features and, you know, if that means using Bitcoin the old way, uh, I think that'll
2: persist for quite some time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny, isn't it? We're eight or nine years into Bitcoin and we already have legacy. Um, <laughs> we have incumbents who are moving slowly and not adopting technology and passing those costs on to their customers. It's, it's, um, it's interesting to see.
1: Yeah, On that note, one of the big improvements in 0.15 was the fee estimation. And you did touch on this uh, in your conversation with Marty Bent about how there are still opportunities for improving fee estimation. Uh, Is there anything on that front for 0.16 or is that going to be part of a a wider ecosystem push?
2: I think... um really what I was referring to there was a wider ecosystem push. I think that the fee estimates that we have in Bitcoin core are pretty good right now um, and better than um, most people are using or, or better than the average transaction is using. They can still be improved probably in age in cases. But I, I think it's, um, it's a problem where a lot of different solutions would be useful. A lot of different people trying different things. Um, the, the baseline that you get from Bit, Bitcoin core in 15 is good, um, but it, it It could be improved depending on what your use case is. And we see egregiously bad fee estimates from a lot of services and wallets putting fees on that are way too high or in some cases too low and not giving um, users the choice of what fee and what urgency is appropriate to them. So I I don't think it's something I, I think Bitcoin Core is ahead of what the rest of the ecosystem is doing and the rest of the ecosystem should probably work on their technology and work on their user education in terms of letting their users understand what the fee market is and understand that there is a trade-off for urgency and fees and helping to give those users the tools to make the appropriate choice.
1: And I actually recently saw that BitPay was using the op return field to store invoice their invoice number and that this so dramatically increased the size of the transaction that the fee went to like $120
2: or something. I I also saw that tweet. I'm not, uh, I haven't seen, I'm not convinced I haven't seen that up return on the blockchain. Um, and I tried to reach out to the guy who, who tweeted that. Um, it's certainly true that that screenshot showed a $120 fee for that transaction. And if you look at, if you find that transaction on the blockchain, the actual, network fee is a fraction of that. Um, and that would fit with what you saw from Tony Gallipoli you know, a few weeks ago where he was saying that tr- fees for his transaction were $50, and that was way above what the network transaction fee was. So it seems like BitPay potentially have a a problem where they're inefficient with their use of block space or they're charging their own fees. I don't know what BitPay's product is or exactly how it works, but certainly the fees that their users are seeing are way, way higher than what the network transaction fee is. Right. So
1: let's close the chapter on fees and kind of the scaling debate. And I think that one of uh, something that we'll hear, especially in the heat of the scaling debate, was people calling for having multiple implementations of Bitcoin so that we don't have you know, what's perceived as one monolithic developer team calling all the shots and thus, you know, with the C++ implementation on github.com slash bitcoin slash bitcoin, which is seen as being centralized. Do you you think that that's a fair criticism or that they're kind of off base?
2: I think it's um, definitely a legitimate concern. But I think in actuality, it's um, a false equivalence. And you saw that kind of argument being made in the heat of the Segwit2x chapter of our history. You saw, I think, legitimate criticism of 2x being a closed group and dictating decisions to the Bitcoin community as a fait complete that they decided what was going to happen to Bitcoin um, and everyone else would have to get on board. And the counter argument that you saw from some of their supporters was Well, it's no different from Bitcoin Core, where they make decisions and push it on the community. And I think that's a completely false equivalent, because Bitcoin Core is a very open process. Everyone can see that the decision-making process in Bitcoin Core, everyone is able to participate if they have the technical knowledge and understanding of English. I think those are probably the only two requirements you need to participate in Bitcoin Core. So it's a legitimate concern if we see, if there were just a single closed group and no one else was able to enter that group, then yes, that would be something that people should be very worried about. But in reality, Bitcoin Core is open. Anyone can participate. So I don't think it's it is more of a theoretical concern than a practical one. I mean, in, in terms of having multiple implementations, and there's a lot of arguments against that. I think Satoshi people quote Satoshi saying that a second implementation would be a menace to the system um, because you need all of these nodes walking forward in lockstep. Um, So any behavior in the reference node would need to be exactly mirrored in um, alternative implementations down to every individual bug. I'm not sure I'm completely convinced of that argument. I think probably at some point we could have a spec, perhaps. I think if we did have multiple implementations, we'd need more than two. I think two would be exactly the wrong number of implementations. One or many would be I think, acceptable. But I think that's quite a a way off because the consensus layer of Bitcoin Core is not completely isolated. So it's very difficult for an alternative implementation to mirror exactly what the consensus behavior of Bitcoin Core is. And there's ongoing efforts, particularly by Matt Carallo, to try and isolate that consensus layer. Maybe at some point in the future, we'll have a lib consensus. So we'll have a library that could be imported by other implementations. And those other implementations could um, implement their own network layers on top or have other parts of software that interact with that library. And that might be a good way forward. But I, I think all of this this stuff is quite a way off at the moment.
1: Yeah, and you, you mentioned the, the issue of isolating the consensus critical code. I was speaking with a non-technical person earlier this week and I was explaining to them That there is software development going on on the actual like Bitcoin network and on the node software that the network runs on, and they were just puzzled. They they were like, "What what does that even what does it mean that we are modifying the code of these nodes? Like, isn't that already set in stone? Aren't aren't we done?" (laughs) So you know, people have this misconception that the white paper was published, Satoshi put up the code, and it was good to go, and, and so there, uh, there's not much to left to be done. Do you want to explain, like, tech debt? I, I guess is the uh, is the issue, but also how what well, you were talking about splitting out the consensus code, modular modularizing the code base, and all of the work that's gone into that over the past few years.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, so, when Satoshi released the first version of Bitcoin in Two thousand nine. It was not done. It was, it was, I mean, a monumental achievement and an incredible, incredible achievement from this one person or group of people or whoever they were. Um, but there were bugs, and many of those bugs were fixed by Satoshi in the first year or two. But there are still bugs, and software is never done. Um, you can always fix more bugs and make the software more performant. Um, in, in terms of what we change in Bitcoin. Well, consensus code remains pretty steady and um, unchanging, as you'd expect, because we want all nodes um, to be able to stay in consensus. But the consensus code is is quite a small part of what's happening in Bitcoin Core or or the Bitcoin D daemon. Um, there's also the network code. That, that's all of the code that is setting up connections between the different nodes. There's net processing, which is receiving uh, Bitcoin messages from your peers and parsing those and doing checks on them. There's the mempool code, which is should be separate from consensus. Um, there's your wallet code, which can always be improved. There's a GUI code. So consensus is a, is a small and very critical part of the code base, but there's lots of parts around that um, which we can change and improve and fix bugs and make more efficient without um, hopefully impacting the consensus layer of the the code. So I think your question was the efforts to separate that consensus code. Well, one thing that happened in, I think, 0.14, which was a very important step, was Matt Corralos separated um, one of the the files, which was called main.cpp, and main was as you'd imagine, just kind of everything mushed together into a single file. He separated that into net processing and validation. And validation is the consensus layer stuff, and net processing is the code that deals with your, your view of peers and the messages that you receive from peers. And there should be a, a well-defined interface between those two things. So your net processing is separated from your, your consensus code. Um, that's not fully complete. There's, there's still work to be done there, but it's definitely a really important step. Um, and hopefully, over the next few releases, we'll see that we'll see that improve and continue. And we'll see the, the consensus code better modularized into a, a well-defined library with well-defined interfaces. Um, what that will look like, we don't know, but that, that's a direction that I think we want to go in.
3: If, if uh, lib consensus were developed, though, could people not still argue that it's it's sort of centralized because it's, it's centralized into a, a single code base that's used in multiple implementations?
2: Yeah, perhaps, but um, the idea of consensus is that it changes very infrequently. The, the last consensus change really was, or the last big consensus change was SegWit, and who knows what the next one will be, maybe Schnorr signatures or maybe Mast. Those are changes that don't happen very much
1: can we launch into the the process for how a protocol level consensus change like Segwit happens from, you know, the, the day the idea is put forth to the day that you can actually send
2: a transaction with that? Yeah. OK, um, yeah, I'm just going to open a new tab because uh, it's a good article about this in Bitcoin magazine from Aaron called The Road to Segwit, I think.
3: Real quick, my, my suspicion with the lib consensus is that looking long term, the more that it's isolated, the better, perhaps in the future, you could actually develop a, a spec around it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the idea. Uh, well, no, it's not really the idea, but I, I think that's true. Um, you know, P- Peter Todd has argued that you can't have a spec um, at all. It's impossible. I'm, I'm not sure if that's true.
1: The code is a spec.
2: Yeah. All right. Okay, so I found it. Um, so what was the question? How do we get back? Uh,
1: yeah, the, the process for how protocol changes happen from a developer perspective.
2: Right. Well, SegWit was developed and um, conceived before I was really involved in Bitcoin Core. Um, and it was probably conceived before I was even paying much attention to Bitcoin. It was a, Think back in 2015, perhaps even 2014. Um, But prior to SegWit, there had been a lot of attempts to um, fix or improve this transaction malleability. And it was kind of like whack-a-mole. There there were lots of different ways that a transaction could be malleated. And as soon as one was plugged, two more would pop up. And I think BIP66 or somewhere in the 60s um, is a BIP where Peter Wooler was trying to plug these potential malleability issues. Um, I think there's something like nine listed in that that bit. And I think eventually the idea came around that, well, if you just segregated out the witness or the signature from the transaction, you would be able to avoid all of these issues. But of course, that's, that's a hard fork because you're changing the, the structure of the transaction is kind of, is quite a invasive change to the protocol. And it was initially implemented as a hard fork in the Blockstream Elements Alpha project. And you can go back and download that code base if you want to have a look at what it looks like as a hard fork. Um, and it eventually it was kind of discovered or conceived that this could actually be done as a soft fork. I think it was Luke Jr. who came up with that construction. And so that was put forward to the community. And I don't know, I don't know what the process was from that idea to actually getting it merged into Bitcoin Core. You'd be better off asking the core developers who were around at the time. But it you know, it took a long time. There's a lot of work to be done there around testing and changes to P2P and obviously changes to consensus. And you can look at the pull request and you can see Peter Waller's um, implementations of BIP141 and BIP144, which are the SegWit BIPs. And there's a lot of review and a lot of testing and eventually that ended up in the code base in I think 13.1. 13 didn't include SegWit because in general, um, the policy was to not include consensus changes in major um, dot releases. And then it was the, the the version bits were defined in terms of how to deploy it. And then it was down to miners signaling that they were, they were ready to roll out SegWit. Um, and I think you all know the story from there on. Um, so I, I'm not clear on the part between it being proposed as a BIP, um, and it going into Bitcoin core, better off asking the people who actually implemented that.
1: Well, l- let's discuss then the, the changes that you have been implementing. Like, could you describe the process for those where it is not a consensus level change, but you know, when we talk about Bitcoin core, it is a software development process. It has certain steps to it, and I know that every developer probably has a different approach to it, whether it's sending an email to the mailing list first with an idea or um, meeting
3: people in person, but I'll let you go into that. What I was thinking is we need to put together some kind of school hosh rock yeah. video, like I'm just a bill, <laughs> just like I'm just a pull request.
1: I don't know that John knows the reference, because they might not have that in the UK.
2: No, I don't know.
1: Okay. It's, well, it's, it's basically a song that explains how legislation gets passed through Congress. And everyone in the US knows this song because we've been indoctrinated.
2: Okay. I sh- yeah, we, we could do that. Um, I don't think I'm ready to ad lib a song about how pull requests get merged into Bitcoin Core. So Bitcoin Core is a, it's a process and it's a software project and it's hosted on GitHub, which is where a lot of open source projects are hosted. GitHub uses a versioning control system called called Git, which has been around for 10 years or more um, and was originally developed for the Linux project. And in Git, the workflow is you can make a branch of the repository. So you can take the code and um, make your own changes to it privately on your own computer and then propose that those changes get merged back into the master branch on Bitcoin, you know, GitHub slash Bitcoin slash Bitcoin. So in Bitcoin Core follows this process, like many other open source projects, we have our own terminology, which I don't think is used in other projects of, of hacking and nacking and concept hacking. But the overview of the process is that a contributor will open a pull request or open an issue saying that they're going to make these changes. When they open that, they might not have the full implementation written out It might just be kind of like a high-level sketch of what they're proposing. That pull request on GitHub is then open for any contributor to comment on and give feedback for. So those early comments might be concept feedback. It might be, yes, a concept ACK. I think this is a good idea and you should go forward with it. Or a concept NACK, which means I don't think this is a good idea. I don't think it's an improvement. You could have somewhere in between where you say, okay, this is... A weak concept hack, yeah, it's fine. I won't stand in your way. It seems like a good idea, but I'm not particularly interested. But at that stage, you can get kind of high-level concept feedback on whether the idea itself is a good idea and will be beneficial to the project. So once you've collected that kind of concept feedback, you can then incorporate that into your change. You can push a new version of your branch to the pull request. And then at that point, people will review it, other con- contributors to the Bitcoin Core project will review it and again anyone anyone can review it you don't need a membership badge to comment on prs anyone who has a github account can can leave a comment and the comments will be about the code style the testing coverage the implementation everything about the the pull request and eventually what you're looking for is for other contributors to give you what's called an ACK, which is acknowledgement that they think this code is ready for merge And the maintainers will look at that feedback process. They will wait until the pull request has a number of acts from other contributors, usually three or four um, from regular contributors. And once the maintainer is satisfied that those other contributors have given the pull request their approval and it's tested and the code is safe, then they'll merge it. So the maintainers don't really exercise any executive discretion over what goes into the code base. They listen to what the other contributors say. They listen to the feedback, and once this kind of rough consensus has formed that the code change is beneficial and safe, they will merge it into the master branch.
3: You mentioned uh, the the concept of the ACK and NACK and concept ACK is is something that might not be used in other projects. So there are other ways in which uh, Bitcoin is similar or different to major. Uh, software projects, uh, for instance,
2: something like the what the IETF does. Um, I don't really know much about the IETF, but I, I, I do think Bitcoin Core is somewhat different from many projects in that many projects have a a benevolent dictator or a leader or a lead maintainer who is able to make executive discretionary decisions on the direction of the project. They could, you know, publish a roadmap or a plan or say that this is what we hope to do in the next release, and they, they get to choose what goes into that code base and not. Our maintainers don't really do that. They're not leaders in that sense, they're, they're functionaries. They listen to what the other contributors say and they merge stuff when the other contributors have formed a consensus around it being beneficial and safe. And that's, even within open source, I think that's confusing for a lot of people. Because a lot of people are, are used to projects where there's more direction and projects where the lead maintainer or the benevolent dictator can say, in this version, this is going to happen and this is where the project is going.
1: And if we take it to an even further extreme, like if you are working as a developer at a company, you know, the the product manager will write. A story about what he wants the software to do, and then he'll hand it to the developers and they get cracking on that. So in Bitcoin, where there are no product managers per se, each developer is kind of autonomous and volunteering their time, maybe not volunteering in the sense that they're not getting paid to work on Bitcoin Core, but volunteering in the sense that they're they're not taking product direction from a third party. Can you describe like what it's like to think about, okay, what do I want to work on? Like what, ha- how are priorities developed uh, at the project and at the personal level?
2: Um, at the project level, we have a weekly IRC meeting. Um, so on the Bitcoin Core Dev IRC channel on Freenode, there's a weekly meeting where priorities are discussed. We have... Tags in GitHub for PRs that sort are of high priority for review that as a whole people want to get merged and we think it would be good if people could spend their time reviewing those. But there's no, like you say, there's no direction. There's no there's no one to allocate allocate resource and put teams to work on different tasks. It's much more self-driven. I'm, I'm lucky that I work for an organization called Gencode where I have a lot of autonomy to work on what I think is important. And a lot of the Bitcoin core Full time developers, I think probably all of them have that level of autonomy where they work on what they think is important. And often that will be their own projects and often it will be what the group as a whole deems to be important. So right now we really want to get Segwit, you know, full Segwit addresses into the wallet. And that's the big PR that we want to get merged. It's had a lot of review and it's had a lot of eyes on it. So that's kind of where. Um, The focus is right now, but people choose what they want to do. They scratch their own it because it's open source. And if you are really interested in the GUI, you work on the GUI. And if you're interested in testing, you work on testing. Uh, You you do what you think is important. And somehow some kind of movement emerges from that. Uh, The other
3: confusion that comes out of that is uh, people come into Bitcoin thinking that uh, it is possible to fire a developer. But it's a bit difficult to fire someone with that kind of autonomy.
2: right. Yeah, the, the, the idea of firing Core is slightly strange, I think, because Core has never taken a paycheck from anyone. You know, I've certainly never received a, a paycheck from Core or from the people that run the Core software. Bitcoin CEO. Yeah, the Bitcoin CEO really needs to give me a pay raise, I think. Yeah, you, you can't fire anyone from a process. It's, it's an open process and it, people are free to open PRs and comment on other PRs no one gets any special treatment. Every PR is, well, the idea is every PR is judged on its own merits. And I think we do a pretty good job of that. Yes, the word fire does not make much sense to me.
1: But it, it does raise the issue of that the developers might not be working on what you personally or your business deems to be a priority. And thus, you know, how, how do you twist their arms so that they do what you want them to do? It, it's kind of the mentality that I've, I've seen among some quote, Bitcoin CEOs.
2: Um, right. Well, it's open source. And um, if you don't like something, build something better. That's really the only philosophy there. I think it's if, if you want to see a change, make it happen yourself. That's, that's really it. That's, that's what there is to be said about that. If these, if people are complaining about the direction the Bitcoin core is going, they should either contribute changes themselves or developers to make those changes that they want to see, you know, there's no, there's no shortcut. They, those changes need to go through the same rigorous process that every, every other change goes through. But complaining that you're not seeing what you want from Bitcoin Core I don't think that's a very productive use of anyone's time. Do you think there's ever been
3: any kind of failure, so to speak, in the the core process thus far? Um, and if not, what would that even look like, do you think?
2: So I, I, a failure, the worst possible kind of failure, would be if a consensus bug were merged into master and then released, and that consensus bug caused a chain split or failure of the network. I mean, that's probably like the doomsday scenario. And there have been kind of things that have approached that. There have been certainly been consensus bugs that were merged and then backed out of master. Um, Master has, you know, there's a few months between each release. So when, when something is merged into master, it has quite a bit of soak time. So we've seen, I think, consensus bugs merged and then backed out. Right, like in 2013, 2013 was was one consensus failure. I think there have been other consensus bugs merged and then backed out. So that that would be the worst possible kind of failure. I think I think maybe there's a failure, and I can't. I don't think it's really right to say a, a failure of core, but a failure in general for people to explain and clarify what core is and what the process is. Um, there's a lot of misunderstanding around that, and. The idea that core should be something or should do things is something that you hear quite often. And I think individuals can always do more to improve the understanding of what core is. And I try to do that. I try to talk about what I think core is and I, how I think it works. Um, I don't speak with any particular authority because I don't represent core. Um, I don't think such a thing is possible. But I, I think that's, that's possibly a failure of, or something that we could do better um, I, I could probably do better and try and explain what this process is um, so we don't have this misunderstanding where people think Core run Bitcoin.
3: Right. On, on Marty's podcast, you gave the example of the idea of a Core roadmap. People are upset with Core's so-called roadmap or what they perceive as Core's roadmap or lack of roadmap, Right. Um, as if a Core roadmap is even a conceivable concept.
2: Right. So I think Greg Maxwell, I think back in 2015, wrote a post talking about various things that we could do in Bitcoin to improve scaling and one of them SegWit and various other things. And people um, perceive that as a core roadmap. And I think it was a mistake for people in Hong Kong, core contributors in Hong Kong to sign an agreement because people perceive that as Quotes core signing an agreement. Those things, neither of those things are true. There was never a roadmap, there was never an agreement. Because if you follow my thesis that core is a process, su- such things aren't even possible. Um, I think we could do better. I think on personal levels, people could do better at communicating that. I, I know everyone tries, and it's not really a criticism of people who have tried, but it's it seems that that perception has stuck that core is a, a group that can published roadmaps and sign agreements. And that's just plain wrong. Uh,
1: So, yeah, actually, that answers the question that I was going to have, which is that if developers are autonomous and doing what they're interested in, then there would inevitably be gaps where if, if for specific things that developers are not interested in doing. And obviously, you know, the. The gap is not in testing, for example, or in other areas, but it really is in the quote unquote marketing and public relations where developers are just not interested in those subjects. And so it makes sense to me that we would have a uh, deficiency there, given that there's no chief marketing officer for uh, Bitcoin who is going to rectify the situation by allocating more resources. So it's all volunteers. And I find it odd, but in, in software development, it's, for, for some reason we have websites like GitHub that appear and we have thousands of people contributing their time for free. You don't see that for other industries like <laughs> marketing. There's, I, To my knowledge, there isn't like an open source marketing website where marketers get together and work on passion projects together to uh, market an idea or a product that they... Uh, voluntarily are attracted to what, what do you think why why is that why is this so specific to software development the the open source ethos
2: hm that's that's very interesting i never never considered that before maybe because software developers are able to build such systems maybe git exists for software developers because software developers can build git and know how to use it and maybe if marketers had access to similar systems for marketing, that they would also participate in open source marketing projects. I don't know. But I think it's um, is exactly appropriate that Bitcoin Core does not have a marketing department. There was criticism from Gavin Andresen last week that the Bitcoin Core website blog in the last few months had only had posts for new software releases. And I think that's entirely appropriate because Bitcoin Core is a software project and a process yeah, so it's able to say what the results of the process are. Right. We we can co we, we can coalesce around a release because we're all working kind of in that direction. But it's it's much more difficult to coalesce around a message. You know, we Bitcoin Core released a message in um response to two X, and that was quite a process to get everyone to um agree to a message that was politically neutral and yet still expressed concerns appropriately about what the problems that contributors saw with 2x was um, and I think we did a pretty good job there but anything beyond that where we're out marketing that introduces people's own political and philosophical biases in you know we, we can't go out and tell people what bitcoin is because everyone has a different idea of what bitcoin is the best we can do is is write software that that works and runs so yeah I, I think I think bitcoin Core gets the communications right. Um, I wouldn't want to see any marketing from Bitcoin Core. Um, I think that would be entirely inappropriate for an open source project or a decentralized open source project in the, in the way that Bitcoin is.
1: Agree. Agree. And Bitcoiners, Bitcoiners do a tremendous amount of marketing, but they, uh, the marketing is for Bitcoin itself as the uh, money and payment network. And, uh, you know, we have many Bitcoiners who store their coins on Coinbase and have never even downloaded a wallet, much less the Bitcoin Core wallet and started a node. And I think that there's kind of like a, a psychological barrier where people think that, th- that they're not sophisticated enough to download Bitcoin Core. And I think that's a huge misconception. It's it's trivially easy to just open it and start familiarizing yourself with this world And it's like installing Spotify. It's not not a long involved process. It entails specialized hardware, which I've heard people think that it does. Um, And if you run it in pruning, you don't even really need that much hard disk space. Uh, And granted, there's still bandwidth issues. So if bandwidth is a limitation for you, you need to get a satellite dish and hook up to Blockstream's satellite network. But yeah, I, I really want to promote the idea of people downloading this software. And even if they're not going to use it because they're concerned about the security of their keys, uh, at least add a watch-only address and start poking around to understand what it is that this software project is building.
2: Yeah, I think that's something that people can contribute. I think there's, we have Bitcoin.org, which has a lot of good um user-facing documentation and I think more documentation and education are really an area that is a, a great place where people who are not coders or developers could contribute if they they wanted to contribute their time and talent to Bitcoin David Harding is a, a personal hero of mine he he wrote a lot of the stuff on Bitcoin.org and writes amazing blog posts and I know he was a guest on your podcast and speaks very eloquently and articulately about Bitcoin and the software. I think more stuff like that, you know, more education about how you can run a full node and how it's not particularly arduous. That would be a really good area outside of Bitcoin Core where people could contribute to this thing we call Bitcoin.
1: And within Bitcoin Core, uh, one pull request has caught my attention, which is Jonas Schnelli added a graph of the current state of the mempool uh, to the GUI. And I think that for for you for people who have read, you know, a book like Mastering Bitcoin by Andreas Antonopoulos, if they can open up and have a full node and have graphical things that they can look at to see what's going on in the network, kind of like uh, Jameson Lopp has uh, Satoshi, but having that built into the GUI I, I would get people's attention and motivate them to actually download the software and, and run it themselves. So that's that I'm looking forward to. And, you know, it's on the first iteration. So it's a basic graph. But I think that there's a lot of potential there, whether it's a mempool or other graphics.
3: They can poke around. I think that also helps kind of cultivate the understanding that, uh, you know, when you download Bitcoin Core, you're allowing yourself to become a sovereign and this like lets you look over the network as you're, you're you know, working with your money. Um, and I think that's really powerful. And the, so the easier that we can make it to, to reach that level of, of understanding of the network, um, is fantastic.
2: Yeah, I agree. Um, those things in Bitcoin Core would be good, I think. And more tooling outside of Bitcoin Core, you know, more, more sites like Satoshi and Joho's mempool, tools that users can look at and understand what Bitcoin is better. Um, yeah, those are all good things.
1: Yep. All right. We're not going to take up too much more of your time. John, really appreciate you coming on here to discuss the awesome work that's going on in Bitcoin.
2: Great. Okay. Thanks, Pierre.
1: In regards to subordinate leadership, how do you begin to change the culture slash school of thought of an industry or a company? <laughs>
0: you know i'm not sure if they mean in regards to how do you change your subordinate leaderships or if you are a subordinate i'm not sure what which one of those it is but regardless it doesn't matter cuz mm-hmm. guess what i'm going to do i'm going to lead yeah. that's what i'm going to do whether i'm on whether i'm the subordinate guy or the superior guy mm-hmm. i'm going to lead mm-hmm. oh we're going i want to change things and make them a certain way cool i'm going to do those things mm-hmm. i'm going to make those things happen that's how you do it and if you're doing the right things for the right reasons, your message is going to spread. Yeah. You know how many bad seal platoons I was in? How many? Zero. You know why? Because me and my buddies, we always had a good attitude, we always had the right attitude, and that spread to the other people that were with us. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a red flag that you can get for yourself. And this is frustration. When you start saying to yourself, which I'm not saying this necessarily, but this kind of question Mm -hmm. is coming from somebody that wants change to happen, but it's not happening. So they're getting frustrated and they're thinking they aren't on board or they don't care and they aren't professional. They're not motivated like me. Mm. They don't have a good attitude. So there's a lot of blame going (laughs) on right there. Yeah. So this isn't about them, though, mm. it's about you. And it's about leading from any level in the chain of command. If you're leading, if you're doing the right things for the right reasons, that's gonna spread. So when I, the classic example, and I talk about it all the time, is if you're exercising extreme ownership, if you're saying, you know what, I got this, it was a mistake made, it was my fault, mm-hmm. that spreads.
3: Yeah.
0: If you're humble, that spreads. If you have an open mind, that spreads. If you're being aggressive, not again, not aggressive towards other people, but if you're being aggressive in pursuit of your goal, that spreads.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You know what doesn't spread is when you're aggressive at people. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, actually, it does spread, it but does it's spread. negative. Yeah.
1: You don't want that. You
0: know what doesn't spread? It doesn't spread when you're trying to get people to do things because it's going to make you look good. Yeah. That doesn't spread. Mm -hmm. You can't get people to behave better because you want to look good. It doesn't work. Yeah. People see right through that. Oh, he wants to look good. You know what I'm going to do? Sabotage. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the other thing I've been saying lately, because people are surprised or whatever or not surprised but they're concerned they don't see how it's going to work so fast and i say you know what it's not going to work fast it's got to be and here's the word it's got to be a campaign yeah, yeah. it's got to be a campaign it's not like world war ii was not one battle right. world war one was not one battle it's a campaign to win in europe it's a campaign to win in the pacific it takes battle after battle after battle, and guess what? You don't win them all. Yeah. You lose some of them, and so you're gonna on this campaign. You're gonna win and you're gonna lose, but you gotta have the persistence and the patience and the persuasiveness to continue. Mm-hmm. And another piece of this is you—you you are best off if you go indirect Mm. and not be like hey you need to act like me no people don't like that Mm. you need to just act how you're acting and if you're doing it like i said the right things for the right reasons people are going to see you and they're going to follow so that's how you begin to change the school of thought yeah, that
1: genuineness like tends to show itself or that like if you're not genuine, it tends to show itself, you know, just
3: because oh, of the dynamics of any Never mind tends any, to, it just will. straight shows itself. Yeah,
1: so when you're doing it for the right reasons, like you you can't help but expose that, you know, that will be exposed. So, yeah, people will sign on, sign right on and then you end up gaining, like how you say, it's a campaign it's like you'll gain a little bit of ground. You might win this guy over. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, wait, that's a, you know, that's a cool way of doing it or you know, whatever the group is. And you make these small little steps and you kind of hold that ground. And, yeah, before you know it, it's kind of, dang, the whole culture of this, I don't know, office or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's kind of changing. You know? mm-hmm. It just kind happens.